Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 20, and verses 30 through 34. Again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into the boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, Listen, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seed fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How will you then understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the, so, these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, and they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. This is God's word. Now, Jesus, in his teaching ministry, is going to be speaking almost entirely in parables. When he speaks in public... He's going to be speaking in parables. And these parables are teachings, and it's, it's, it's a device. It's a teaching device that will help those who believe in him go deeper and understand him more. But those who doubt him and are suspicious of him and oppose him, they're going to, they're going to remain confused as they hear these parables. They're like, they're like a political cartoon, okay? 
parables to the ear are like political cartoons to the eyes. Or think of Gary Larson's The Far Side, right? Everybody's looking at the same picture, but everybody has a different response. Some people laugh and think it's hilarious. Other people are offended by what it says or what it reads. Some people get it, and some people miss the point entirely. And that's really what Jesus is doing with his parables. So he says, let him who has ears to hear, hear. The scribes don't get what he has to say. The religious professionals, they don't understand him. His own relatives, his immediate nuclear family, as we saw last week, they don't understand him. And yet, people like prostitutes and and heavy drinkers and tax collectors and fishermen, they seem to understand him. They're following him. What does it take to receive the word? What does it take to hear the words of Jesus or biblical Christianity, the Christianity represented in the Bible, and actually receive it in faith? Believe that it's true and allow it to change the way you think and change the way you make decisions, change your entire life. Because everybody's hearing the same thing, but people respond to it differently. What does it take to receive the word? Enduring saving faith is the result of good conditions. That's what we're going to look at today. People, Jesus says, are like seeds. If you've seen the movie Shrek, Shrek says to his friend the donkey, ogres are like onions. And donkey doesn't get it. But Shrek just goes, look, ogres are, they're like onions. And Jesus is saying, look, people, they're like seeds. And the commentator, Alan Cole, he wrote a really good little commentary on the Gospel of Mark. I'd recommend it to you. It's a a good read. Alan Cole says what Jesus is doing is describing four types of heart conditions in people. There are four types of seeds in this parable. And what Alan Cole says is Jesus is describing four heart conditions that we have in the world. Four seeds, four heart conditions. Okay, the first condition is a hard heart. And we see it in verse 15. Jesus says, these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that's sown in them. Some people are just simply opposed to the message is what Jesus is saying, okay? I've heard people say, when I explain Christianity to them, I explain what Jesus did, who he is, what he said, and they simply say, that's just not for me. I'm just not interested. And for some people, it's just that simple. It just, it doesn't relate. It doesn't connect. They're just not interested. You can spill your guts and pour out your heart and give them this amazing, apologetic, intellectual uh, argument, and they just go, you know what? That's just not for me. Thank you, but no thanks. I'm glad it's true for you, but I got to find my own truth. Some people are downright opposed to it and critical and argumentative and offensive, right? For some people, they just politely say, I'm just not interested in hearing this. Some people get very angry about it and become (laughs) your enemy when you talk about it. Some people did that to Jesus. So some people are just opposed immediately, forces within them, And forces outside of them that have spiritual weight in the world in which we live. Jesus says it's Satan, okay? They're at work. These forces are at work making the word unpalatable. 
untenable. The second they hear it, they're unable to receive it. Jesus says there's another type of seed. There's another type of heart condition. It's the shallow heart. Verses 16 and 17, he says, These are the ones sown on rocky ground. The one who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, and they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises, on account of the word, immediately they fall away. Some people receive the message, Jesus says, but only partially. They only receive it partially so that when the message in them is really tested, they don't stick with it. Some people receive the news of Christianity, the good news of the kingdom of God, as Jesus describes it in Mark, but only partially, meaning they have an incomplete worldview. They're drawn to Jesus. They're, they're, they like what he says. They like who he is. Seems like a really humble guy and a wise teacher. And yeah, I can, I can get into this. this. This sounds like a good idea. Sure, I'll be a Christian. I'll follow Jesus. I dig what he has to say. But their worldview, their perspective isn't completely changed. And so the second they meet adversity as a result of their Christian faith, they back away. They give it up. Many, many Christians in the early church, once the Roman Empire, after a couple of centuries, began seriously persecuting Christians in the Greco-Roman world, many people who called themselves Christians fled. They walked away from the church. They denounced their faith out of fear of persecution. Right? This is a very real dynamic even today. I had a friend in college. I was an inter, we were an inter, Becky and I were an InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. It was very evangelistic. We were talking about Christianity with people on campus, and a young guy uh, became a Christian in the spring semester near the end of the year. He was very excited about Christ. I was impressed. He was out telling other people on campus about Jesus, quoting biblical passages that I hadn't even heard of. <laughs> and I was just so impressed with his, with his excitement and his, 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 humble, his humbleness, his, his zeal, and his ability to communicate the truth of the gospel that he had just begun to accept and believe. By the fall, he had rejected it. He came back that fall in September, and uh, he, he avoided us. He didn't come to our meetings. He stayed away. Whenever we saw him, he looked dejected. He looked disappointed. We finally asked him, what, you know, what's going on? He just said, you know, over the summer, I started thinking about it. I talked to other people. I looked at the world in which we live. There is a lot of pain and suffering in this world. And, and I, I just, I can't accept that God... I can't accept that, that a good God would allow the terrible things in this world to take place. I just can't accept that. And that was it, and he fell away. So he believed partially, received the word partially, okay? But when the difficulties of this world and when the critical perspectives of other people pressed in on him and challenged him, he gave up because he didn't have a deep worldview. He only received the, he only received the word impartial, uh, partially, incompletely. Okay. Now, there's another type of seed Jesus mentions, the overcrowded one. Okay? There's, a, there's the overcrowded heart. Verses 18 and 19, others are the ones sown among thorns, Jesus said. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfaithful. So again, you have some people who receive the word, but only partially, timidly, cautiously, 
not fully committing, things come along that just are too important to them. There are just things in life and in the world that you love so much, you, you just have to serve those things. You have to serve those people. You know, we love leisure in America. We work very hard and we, we enjoy our days off. But now we work really hard on Saturdays, keeping our kids in sports and taking care of the yard and, and, and serving our, our hobbies. And Sunday comes and we're just beat. We're, we're wiped out. And, and, and we really enjoy what's on TV, right? And it's hard to get up and commit to something on Sunday too and to commit to a group of wacky people that you don't even know from all over walks of life, right? It's just, it's easier to have things your way. Leisure is really important to Americans because we work so hard. So Sundays are for my rest, are for me to do my will, to accomplish my agenda before I have to go back into the rat race on Monday morning, right? It's hard to follow Jesus when the going gets tough. We care very much about money. We care very much about relationships. We care very much about our future. And so we want to protect those things and those people. And the word that is sown demands a lot. The cost is great, Jesus says. And sometimes people just go, you know, the cost is too high. I like it. I, I, I believe but I just can't commit. And Jesus says, these are the folks who receive it, but, but the, the worries and the cares of this world just choke, just choke the word out of influence in their lives. Now, there's, there's another seed. There's a fourth heart condition. It's the good heart. Right? You've, you've got a hard heart. You've, you've got a shallow heart. You've got an overcrowded heart. And Jesus says, there's a good heart. Verse 20, those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. Some people receive the word fully, completely. And what's the result? I find it fascinating that Jesus doesn't give a long description here of why it is that they receive it and what's different about them and, and what strategy did they use and, and how come they're different. Actually, he gives a longer description of the other heart conditions than he does the heart condition of the good soil. Okay? How do you know when someone receives the message fully? Jesus says they bear fruit. That, it's that simple. How do you know that someone has not simply superficially received the message of the kingdom of God according to biblical Christianity, but endures with it, continues, allows it to transform them. How do you know? It says you see fruit that is exponentially greater than the sum of just their faith. Like when Steve showed us that empty kernel of corn, right? One kernel produced 500 kernels. And Jesus is saying the good heart is a heart that receives it and you know that the, the reception is authentic because you see fruit. And that's simply the description that Jesus gives to the ones who really understood him, the inner circle, the 12, and then the men and women who were following him who really got what he was trying to say. And why? Why is it? Why, why do some receive? Simply, Good soil. Jesus says the conditions are good. 
<laughs> Why? Because the conditions are good. That's what he says. People in response to God's word are like seeds. Some germinate and grow and some don't. And he says, this is what the kingdom of God is like. I got a question for you. How should those on good soil, so to speak, respond to this parable of the sower and the seeds? What do you think? If you would identify as being a seed sown on good soil, how, how, how should you respond to this parable? What do you think? How does it make you feel? Am I fruitful enough? Is there evidence of the word planted in me by the fruit that my life reaps? Good point. That's an immediate question you ask. Yeah. Other thoughts, Steve? Humility and gratitude. Humility and gratitude. Why is that? You can't change the condition of the soil. If you're a, if you're a seed. Yeah. If you're the soil itself. Right. Okay, good point. So, so you read this and you say, I am humble and grateful that this is the circumstance I'm in. Okay. What else? Any other thoughts? It leaves you with the question, how should I live? How should I spread what's been given to me? Would that be a way of saying it? Okay. Okay. So uh, th some of these are heart conditions, a response with a heart condition, and some of them are, are practical, well, what do I do in response? Yeah. What should my countenance be? How should I reorder my thinking and my attitude based on this, but how should I reorder my living? Okay. Good. Yeah. Good, yeah, conditions can change. And, and, and uh, heart conditions can change. From our vantage point as, as fallible, um, limited people, uh, we can look at others and see, oh, the conditions seem to be fruitful, but now they seem to be <laughs> rocky <laughs> and scorched, or vice versa, right? And be careful not to judge. Be careful not to judge. Good, yeah, very good. In the back.
Just repeating, uh, she, she quoted from John 15, Jesus said to his apostles, you didn't choose me, I chose you and called you to bear fruit that will last. And here's the first thing I want you to do, love one another. And that really does uh, coincide with the comment about humility. Yeah, good. Yeah, one more. Okay, so initially you, you say, look, I'm, I'm, I'm proud of myself. Look at me. I'm a stalk. This is great. You should put a robe on me and declare me a special saint because look at me. Um, but to remember, wow, I, I, I once was something so small that you couldn't even see me when you looked out over the ground. Um, and it's a result of the good conditions, cultivated, nurtured, that I'm able to to stand where I am today, uh, to be fruitful. Yeah, good thoughts, good insights. You know, the, the New Testament, here's, here's the thing. This is just a parable, okay? It, it's, it's meant to be taken uh, in a very general term. So we want to, we want to dissect it and, and make it like one of Paul's letters in the New Testament where you can pick apart every word to try and figure out what in the world he was saying. This is a very general story meant to help believers understand the truth and skeptics remain cloudy on the issue, right? Until they're given the gift of faith to understand what Jesus is saying. So we have to take it in general terms. Now, here's the thing. Jesus, does, Jesus interprets the meaning of the parable, right? But he doesn't give us the theology behind the meaning. We have to go to the rest of the New Testament to understand uh, the philosophy behind the meaning of the parable. Okay. We're not going to do that today, but I will say your responses are right on with what the New Testament says. If you look at the New Testament, this is what the New Testament says in response to the dynamics that we see at work in this parable. Two big things. Give thanks and pray. I want to talk to you about Thanksgiving. I want to talk to you about prayer. Good conditions are the result of God's care in sowing. A farmer prepares the way for good crops, right? The farmer has to choose fertile fields. He doesn't just plant anywhere. He has to go, that's a good, land. That's a good plot of land. This is not, but that is. He has to start there. We discovered that rhubarb does not grow well in Anne Arundel County. We, I love making rhubarb pie. Uh, my wife's family grows rhubarb. We could not get rhubarb to grow in Anne Arundel County. It's much more of a sandy soil by the bay. But rhubarb grows up here. There are a lot of rocks in the soil here. Good grief. But, but you know, if you've dug any, if you dug for just like digging space for a flower, you know how many, um, how many rocks are here. But the soil is rich and very f fertile. Rhubarb grows up here. Right? The farmer has to select good field. And then once he selects good field, what does he have to do? He has to break up the fallow ground. He has to break up the ground so that the ground can receive seed. And then he has to water the ground after he sows or pray and wait for rain. 
God's providential care is the result, if you're a Christian, God's providential care is the result of your sincere faith. God's providential care is the result of your fruitful, productive living. It was the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians who said, now, the Corinthians were, hey, like, I'm, I'm really into the Apostle Paul. I follow him on Facebook. I, I read po- the, the Apostle Paul's Twitter account. And other people in Corinth said, no, I'm, I'm really into Apollos. He's a really cool preacher. I read his Twitter feed. And Paul says, cut it out, guys. Look, whether, whether you learned from Paul or whether you learned from Apollos, that doesn't matter. God is the active agent. In, the, in your faith process. And so he said, I planted the seed. Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. So be thankful. Be thankful and humble that all the fruit in your life and the sincerity and the endurance and the perseverance of your faith are the result of a loving, caring gardener right, who foresaw what you would become and prepared the soil, prepared the good conditions so that you could grow. But here's the other thing. Don't just be thankful. Pray. Pray for good conditions in the lives of other people. Pray for good conditions in your community. Pray for good conditions in societies around the world. That's what we're supposed to do. Now, you may be thinking in the back of your mind, well, wait a minute. Jesus said, let him who has ears to hear, hear. So some people are in condition to hear and others are. that's from God's perspective. That's not our perspective. We don't know, somebody said earlier, Jack said, you can't judge the heart. We don't know what God's doing and isn't doing in people's hearts, in cultures. So we need to be thankful, yes, but now we have to pray for good conditions for other people. The Apostle Paul, again, speaking um, speaking to his young friend Timothy, He said to Timothy, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Let me stop right there for a second. Paul's saying, pray for good conditions in your lives and in society. Why? So that we can enjoy our leisure? No, he goes on to say in 1 Timothy chapter 2, this this is good. He's talking about the conditions. He's saying pray for good conditions in society and culture, in government, in community. Why? This is good and it pleases, it it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. God is a generous sower of seeds. And we pray that the fallow ground of cultures and communities and systems and and individuals would be broken up so that they can receive the word as you have received the word. And then Jesus in another place said, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Matthew chapter 9. Jesus said, look, God has a plan. So pray that people will not only receive the word, but that others will reap the harvest. That others will, will facilitate in that faith building process. And not only pray, but pray with hope. 
Look, I know that Christianity in the West seems to be on the decline. I know that it seems like the church in the Western world is, is on the retreat. We're sick. <laughs> we're, we're dysfunctional. We're corrupt. We're hypocritical. So the culture says about, about Christians. And, and, and to some degree, that's very true. And you look around and you go, am I the only one who believes this stuff? Am I the only one in my family that has received the word? Am I the only one in my school? I think of kids I grew up with and I, I, I have to think, I, don't, I can't think of many that I knew growing up in church as a kid that are still Christians. Um, and you start to go, what, what is going on? Maybe there's something wrong with me. Maybe, maybe this isn't true after all. But there's, a, there's several parables that Jesus, that Mark showcases in this chapter, chapter. There's another one. Remember the parable of the mustard seed. I read that one. Okay. Parable of the mustard seed is very insightful here. Jesus says, look, right? It's the smallest, must, it's the smallest seed. It's extremely tiny. It looks like nothing. But you plant it and it grows and eventually it takes over the garden. It becomes the, it's a shrub. It's a giant bush. And, and, and it's so big and so grand in the garden that birds can perch in it. So it not only produces its own fruit, so to speak, it, it blesses the entire garden. And Jesus says, that's what the kingdom of God is like. You can't judge its progress and its status simply based on empirical evidence. What you see in front of you is not an accurate indication of what God is truly doing. And so Jesus offers that other parable to say, hold on. The kingdom of God grows in unexpected ways in unexpected people. Don't let what you see in the world allow you to lose hope. Continue to pray that God will work because he's working. The proof is in the fruit. Not in what you see when the seed is planted. So give thanks and pray with hope. Faith believes that God's work, even though it's now hidden, will produce a harvest. There's really no place for boasting in this, is it? I heard a couple of people talk about humility in response to this parable. And there's just no place for boasting, the New Testament says. Don't be deceived by thinking that you nurtured the good conditions in your life. It sounds ludicrous to think of a plant boasting in itself when you know <laughs> it had to be planted. The soil had to be cultivated and selected by a good, loving gardener or farmer. Okay? It's not that you possess something inherently better than everybody else. People get offended by the teachings of Scripture because they go, wait a minute... How come everybody doesn't receive? But think about it. If that's true, if everybody, if, if everybody should just believe, right? But they don't. What is it about you that makes you believe? Is there something better in you? Are you smarter? Are you better looking? Are you a better thinker? Are you nicer, more loving? What did God give you that other people don't have so that you actually believe? You have to ask yourself, am, am I actually being prideful in my pursuit of fairness? Am I being prideful by thinking that I believe because there's something better in me? 
when I, when I sow seed, I don't sow seed, I have a Scott's rotary spreader. And I guess it's like sowing seed, whatever. I use it for fertilizer, mostly. But when I put seed on the lawn, the, the seeds that fall on the driveway and the path and the patio, they, they don't grow. They can't grow, right? The seed that falls on the soil that's been prepared for it, that's the seed that grows. And as a human being, you're the same seed stock as everybody else. We're all born the same seed stock. It's the conditions that allow us to germinate and grow and bear fruit. And what Jesus says is some get it, some grow, and some don't. But the rest of scripture says you're growing because God's allowed you to grow. God cultivated suitable conditions for you. We read earlier from Isaiah 55, right, where God said, look, my word, it goes out from my mouth and it shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it, right? right. So faith is the result of God's cultivation. In Philippians chapter two, Paul said, it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. This is the basis for continuing in our faith, Paul says early in Philippians 2. Why do we continue to do good works and continue to exercise our faith? It's because we know that God is already working. And we're just living in response and in agreement to what God's already doing. Okay. Calvin, John Calvin said, everything good in the will is entirely the result of grace. You know, when the scripture, scripture talks about the heart, it means the will. It means the part of you that motivates your living while you do what you do. It's not the intellect. It's not the emotions. Jesus isn't speaking parables to reach people who have a superior intellect. And he's not speaking in parables to reach people who are more emotionally sophisticated and, and emotionally open and, and sensitive. He's going at the heart, which in scripture means the will the motivational part of you. And John Calvin said, if there's anything good in the will, it's entirely the result of grace. So boasting about ourselves is, is repulsive, isn't it? It's, it's ridiculous and ludicrous in light of this parable. And it's repulsive to the world. Nobody likes a boastful person in any scenario, especially when it comes to religion and to our status before God. But I'll tell you what the world finds interesting and countercultural: People who boast about God. People who say, hey, don't, it's not me. Let me tell you what God's done. Let me tell you what God's done for me. That's different because the way the world works is let me tell you how impressive I am. You should be impressed with me. But people are intrigued when you say, it's, it's, uh, there's really nothing you should be impressed about when you're looking at me. Let me if you're impressed by anything, you, let me tell you about what God's done for me. That's really what's impressive. That's countercultural. And I think that is how, in human terms, the seed spreads and germinates. It's when people can see radically changed individuals humbly point to a God who has lovingly cultivated their lives. And this is what's so intriguing, the idea that there was one seed that had to die to produce fruit. And this is the heart of Christianity. The night, 
Jesus was betrayed, he said this to his apostles, right? He knew he was going to die. He knew he was going to be executed. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. One of my favorite books is Dostoevsky's The Brothers Karamazov. It's a wonderful book. It's a great story. If you don't want to read the book because it's ridiculously long, I think they made a movie, a couple of movies over the last 50 years or so about it. But at the very beginning of the book, even before the introduction, Dostoevsky cites this verse. And a major theme throughout his masterpiece is the idea that death produces life. That the death of something beautiful produces abundant life. There was a holy seed spoken of in Genesis chapter 3 right near the beginning when God said to Satan, look, you've messed things up and here's what's going to happen. The seed from the woman, even though you're going to bruise his heel, the seed from the woman is going to crush your head. And that was the initial promise in the Bible that someone's going to come, a holy seed from Eve, passed down through generations of the people of Israel, a holy seed would come to crush the head of Satan who keeps taking these seeds away. And the seed was Jesus. The whole point was to get us to a place in human history where the holy seed could do what he was come to do, to sprout, to germinate, and to produce fruit that was infinitely greater than what he appeared to be able to do as a single individual. And he said, right before he died, listen, if, if a grain drops and dies, it produces fruit, but it's got to drop and die. It can't stay in the fruit. It must be separate. It must be cast off. It must fall to the earth and go through the process of death. Okay? And he was talking about himself. That's what's unique about Christianity. If you're willing to receive that that's possible, okay, that God could die so that you won't have to, in the end, spiritual death, ultimate death, eternal death, the faith you have and the fruitful life you live is the result of Jesus dying so that you could become alive, right? And the gospel is basically that this, this seed produces an abundant harvest, and this is the harvest right here, 2,000 years later. This is the harvest. Now, maybe it doesn't look very impressive to us, but he's doing something that's absolutely amazing. And in the end, you're gonna look at it and go, oh my goodness, I had no idea I, I couldn't fathom what he was doing. It looked like a mustard seed. It looked like something insignificant. But God was working all the time and now I'm overwhelmed. I'm absolutely overwhelmed. And Jesus is saying in Mark chapter four, this is how the kingdom of God works. Don't let appearances deceive you. It deceived his relatives. It deceived the religious establishment. It didn't deceive the prostitutes and tax collectors. Don't let it deceive you. And pray that it won't deceive the people around you. Enduring, saving faith 
is the result of good conditions. So let's give thanks. Yeah, it's Advent season now, but let's just still give thanks for good conditions in our life brought about by a loving God. And let's pray for good conditions in, in the lives of other people, okay? And let's live by faith, live in hope that although we can't see it, God is doing something amazing. He's building a kingdom that is gonna knock your socks off. Let's pray. Father, amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? What amazing love, Father. What amazing power and wisdom. Making us seem like fools you are, Lord. Taking something that's insignificant and, and shameful and reproachful and embarrassing and, and, and just changing the universe through it. Give us eyes to see it, Father. Give us ears to hear what the Lord Jesus is saying to us. And please, please, Father, produce good soil in Westminster and in Carroll County. And we ask that in our lives you would help us to see a harvest. And if not, if not in this lifetime, give us the faith to trust that things are not always as they seem. Lord Jesus, help us. Amen.